the UK Psych Health and Safety and ISO 45003 podcast. The goal of the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast is to be your source of information on psychological injury prevention, health promotion and best practice. In doing this, we aim to rapidly advance the global practice of psychological health and safety in workplaces and adoption of best practices from the ISO 45003 standard. We will be looking at fully integrated approaches to managing psych health and safety and well-being strategy in the workplace that meet the needs of everyone in the organisation. Your regular host will be Peter Kelly, Senior Psychologist with the UK Health and Safety Executive and Sheila Lord of BMR Health and Wellbeing. Every week we will have a guest episode from the fields of health and safety, human resources, psychology and academia who are leading the way in their corner of the globe. Hello and welcome to the latest episode of the UK Psych Health and Safety Podcast. I'm Sheila Lord and as always I'm joined by my co-host Peter Kelly uh, of the UK HSE and our guest this week is the lovely Sue Chantry who is Clinical Director for SKC Occupational Health and in addition Sue also supports um, Williams Racing with their health and well-being as well so welcome to the podcast Sue, great to have you. Hello, hello, yes nice to be here, thank you. (laughs) So Sue, um, you're obviously working in occupational health and what we wanted to do today is to have a chat with you about the role of occupational health in psychosocial risk, health and well-being. Um, So could you tell us a little bit about kind of the work that you do and the role of health professionals in that area? Yeah, of course. Um, So occupational health work um, very autonomously. Um, We are there as advocates for the employer as well as the employee. Um, We have clinical backgrounds, so we're medically trained. And our speciality is very much about offering workplace health guidance and support. Um, We advise and educate managers, HR, organisations, as well as employees. Um, And it really just helps them to you know, work along um, clinical guidance as well as safety guidances um, and it really develop and, and optimise the a healthy and productive workforce. We work very collaboratively. Um, we certainly have to work within legal boundaries and regulatory compliances, um, but we also give much more in terms of optimising business health management in the workplace. So you've Come across the new standard, ISO 45003. What are your views on the standard and how kind of the standard is going to help to support your profession? I'm really excited that we now have a framework and a tool that we can actually really use to guide and frame some of the psychosocial risks that have actually been there for a really long time. Um, And I think it's been an ad hoc model of support from mental health and wellbeing in the workplace historically. Um, Occupational health aren't actually counsellors, but we are able to advise and guide, but to now have a framework that is accredited from an international perspective is really exciting to be able to explore that and use that to pin strategy and guidance and support to employers in the context of having a real accredited framework that's recognised, standardised. And it means that we can all work to a a set 
program um, and I think that continuity will be really really valuable certainly as a clinician from my perspective to work to those standards really means that we can deliver optimum guidance and support and probably at a time where it's never been needed more to be frank um, we're certainly seeing in occupational health post-covid situations of a really high incidence of referrals for mental health management from managers and employers um, and so actually to develop this tool now at this time for us to begin to explore that will help everybody we work very collaboratively with HR and with health and safety already in terms of legal and um, safety standards so it just makes natural sense to me that we're now recognising a psychosocial risk mm-hmm. as equally as we've done for years in regards to noise management, for example, or the cost risk um, management standards. You know, Regulation 11 has always meant that occupational health has, has to um, work and support that. So to have that now with the uh, 45003 is, is really exciting. Excellent, excellent. And how do you, how are organisations responding to the standard that, that, that you deal with and, and organisations, you know, maybe outside of your kind of... Yeah, I think um, it's still very much an exploratory stage, if I'm honest with you. It's still yeah. very, very new. In fact, even within occupational health, I would say that we need to do a bit more research, a bit more understanding Um, you know working with um, audit sort of um, organizations to help and support us to to get together the management standards to be able to deliver it in a in a constructive framework Um, certainly um, some of my clients that I work with uh, particularly in relation to the fact that mental health is a a certainly a high priority for them to manage in the workplace currently post-covid they're very, very interested in it. Um, And I'm currently just going through some sort of exploration stages to understand it a little bit more. So then I can guide and lead from my clinical experience to be able to work through and develop that with health and safety colleagues and uh, HR um, colleagues who are obviously procuring my services to support them. Certainly the engagement is one of interest haven't actively implemented it at the moment, but I think that's because it's still very much at a, a foundation stage. Yeah, it's only like a month old, really, um, in terms of it, it's visibly out. Um, come on, so me and you have been in this job about 20 years, and we've we, we followed this <laughs> Only 20? Uh, oh, uh, that, makes me, that makes me, what, 25 years old? Absolutely, 23 for me, 23 for me. <laughs> But, um, you know, during the course of that 23 years, there's been a lot of changes, hasn't there? A lot of attitudes have changed towards mental health. Where do you think people's attitudes are going to go with regards to, you know, psychosocial hazards and depression and anxiety post-COVID? Because there's some evidence at the moment coming out of papers that we've seen in the BMJ of 20% increases in in some sectors with depression and anxiety in in our own sectors, in the healthcare sector, you know, um, 45% of sickness absence in the NHS is now mental health. Mm. Um, And as an occupational health nurse and an occupational health professional, um, Mm. do you think we'll see a huge increase, a wave of 
to referrals? I, I think I think those figures are under under quoted. If I'm really honest with you, Pete, mm. I think I think it's always been there, but right. I think the dialogue is one that it's actually an open context. We've got much more of a um, open dialogue in regards to mental health management in the workplace. It's no longer a topic that you just either deny or pop under the carpet and it doesn't exist and just talk about back pain, which was historically the mask for mental health. I think employers recognise that they do have a duty of care to recognise the, the support and the duty of care they have to their employees for mental health. And I think actually that is a demand. Part of an employee's request now in terms of benefits and what they expect from the employer is, how are you going to support me psychologically as well as physically? I think the dialogue is there and I think actually the statistics are probably far higher in the presentation currently and certainly within, you know, anecdotally with my peers and, and professional colleagues, professional referrals from organisations, as you say, within the health sector, I don't work in the NHS sector for occupational health provision but recognise very much that that is the dominant work for occupational health services within the NHS to manage the, the fallout post-COVID management and, and the acute work that staff have had to have delivered in the NHS in the last 18 months. But I think also in the private sector, there's been a, a lot of impact of furlough, virtual working, risk of job um, security, as well as actually the general anxieties that have come along with COVID in a general society context, overflow it out of the work context, those personal circumstances, people having to work and juggle school care, homeschooling, all of those other demands that life has brought everyone during lockdown and still having to maintain a professional level of work. And people haven't worked harder than they've ever worked before in some circumstances. Um, I absolutely think it's going to be um, a pandemic of its own really it will be a, a crisis point I, I think it it's peak it's reaching a high peak mm. and this is where um, support from occupational health is really critical because we can bring in you know risk assessments that the the real positive with this particular framework is that it, it's looking at identifying the risk and putting in place control measures that that risk then doesn't become a, an issue, a hazard, as opposed to actually more of a reactive model where you wait for the fallout and then you plug those gaps with either managing sickness absence, long-term absence related to stress, anxieties. Um, and so actually this is what's really positive about having a structure such as this. It's actually identifying there is a risk. And I think employers, organisations have to recognise what the risk is and it isn't just, as I said before, picking up that there's a noise risk, so let's produce some hearing protection. There are psychosocial risks now, there's mental health risks, and it's all unique to various organisations. Um, you know, as, as you've already referred to, the NHS management of, of mental health concerns within the trusts right now is probably as a relation to some of the acute work and the, the resourcing challenges that staff have faced in the last 18 months. I worked for four months on the wards back in the NHS, having not worked in the NHS for 25 years, last spring at the very beginning. And 
I have had mental health concerns related to my own personal health as a result of that I've been able to manage that and I only met I only worked for four months and I had the choice to manage my shifts colleagues of mine have not had a respite from that at all they weren't able to manage their shifts their workloads and so I think it is something that's a real concern that we have to sorry Pete yeah I've talked about it with you, haven't I? I said there's almost, there, there are three parallel pandemics, mm. and the uh, first to the, the recession and the, and the global uh, influenza pandemic mm. will pass. Mm. Um, the influenza pandemic maybe will take a you know a, a year to two years to get through it. You know before we see um, you know we see sort of the, the possibility that we're managing it, but clearly the mental health will carry on for for for. Uh, significant amount of time after it and I would say generational um yeah. I believe 14 15 year old kids that are going to work mm. three or four years now are going to need mm. to um their mental health is going to have to be managed and oh so I totally agree with you Pete. To yeah my my daughter is is 18 so she started her degree last September and you know that group of amazing university students have been kind of left a bit behind they've undertaken their year of study in a virtual context in halls of residence they've moved away from home the first time they've not had the social engagement that we probably had the fun of enjoying when we were at university and that you know that is a real fundamental baseline to their mental health challenges they've already had they're going to come out of their university experience then looking for for work in 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 employment sectors that actually I think they're really going to be very self-aware about what their expectations are to have the mental health support from employers and I think you know organizations have to recognize that at at basic recruitment level Um, occupational health will manage referrals for mental health that's what we're currently doing at the moment and we will advise and we will guide businesses but I think there's also an accountability from you know managers organizations to be able to apply those um, guidances and advice and actually as, I, as I've already said that's where occupational health can also look at trends and patterns of, of referrals that may well actually mean that occupational health can support strategy to ensure that those risks are managed before you need to make those referrals because that's the ultimate is is really in ensuring that you've got good education a good mental health awareness framework and a culture that is not being kind of labeled as you know you're a bit bonkers because you've got some mental health issues and I think that the culture is 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 changing the dialogue is changing because society are talking about it much more it's been a a headline piece as well as the COVID figures and stats you know, as you know, I work in motorsport. You know, we, we talk uh, a lot about the work that I do within the, the motorsport sector. And, and I'm really proud of how, you know, the, the teams on the grid have really recognised how they can support and manage mental health. Um, beginning of the season, this is pre-pandemic, you know, there was a, a big advert about men's mental health. And that was a promotion through the grid through the TV channels um, with lots of active campaigns. And I think that dialogue coming from high profile sports such as motorsport, football, for example, all of those high profile 
organizations where again historically it's you know it's it's a highly competitive environment and if you don't meet the grade or you you, you kind of discuss that you've got a mental health concern then actually you're you're kind of a disposable commodity is not the case so much now and I think it is about seminars workshops education and that's where the four five thousand and three can really support a strategic focus on managing risk and occupational health has got a massive part to play with that without a doubt it isn't just about an organization ticking a box and having a framework because I think you do need to collaborate I think one of the things that I maybe slightly am concerned about and I think there does need to be a big education piece on this is actually an important part for health and safety to play in this standard Mm. traditionally health and safety has been about managing slips and falls and manual handling and looking at risk assessment for noise and cost and I think it's also about educating at ground level health and safety managers to be aware that actually mental health is equally a risk as well as the slips and chips and falls and the, the tick box kind of legal standard frameworks that are managed in the workplace no, I mean, it is, I did an open letter to the EAP and occupational health providers um, in one of the magazine interviews in which I said, it is time to focus on prevention rather mm. than cure. And, mm. and I think there has been for a long period of time, a focus on the treatment of the individual. Um, mm-hmm. Actually, mm-hmm. for me, the power of occupational health is what it does to put in systems and processes in organisations to manage people's health in a way that makes the people makes the people return from work work either not the same as or if not if not healthy. But uh, yeah, there is. Um, you know, we can we can put a guarding on a machine. We can put anti slip measures. We can tell you to pick up twelve kilos. Um, and we can make bags that are 12 kilos and we can make mm. all of these mandatory physical interventions. But what mm. we do is to do the same for mental health, which is mm. we need to identify things and go, okay, if you've got someone that's got high demands, really, really high demands, they can't manage, they can't cope, reduce the demands. Don't mm. say I can't reduce the demands because I've got the system. Adapt the system, is it not? And that's what... If you know, if, if let's say if you were on a, a line and there were fifteen people and seven reported they had back problems, what would you do? So, mm, mm. would you say they've all got bad backs? Mm. Or you, mm. yeah. And I think that's the um, the medical training is really important. You know, and um, the the occupational health background to look at systems and um, mm. yeah, so. Um, I agree. I, I think. I think. That's where a dual role is really quite key. And that's a, that's something that I think occupational health can bring to the table um, with belts and braces on as well, because we do have the clinical skills to be able to support an individual who may feel that they need to speak in a really confidential context. And because of our, you know, uh, clinical bound duty, we have to maintain those confidential um, discussions and support an individual as they need. And we, we do probably have to medicalize that or maybe not necessarily clinically medicalize it, but, but have the skills to know where we can refer and offer support outside of the context of the workplace. 
But I think the key message as well for occupational health is to really emphasise to that employee that the confidentiality framework, whilst we will totally respect it, doesn't really work unless we are in a position where we can report that back. Um, and it, it's still in a skillful context that not every single detail is disclosed, but actually if we then identify a trend or a pattern with a number of employees, then that way an organisation can identify where they can bring change and, and pro to the processes or change to the demands. And it is having that standards that are already developed through the HSC in terms of those kind of standards and working to those. But sometimes I find that the two are slightly disconnected. So, you know, staff are referred to occupational health because actually it's a bit medical and it's mental health and we don't really quite know what to do. Oh, let's send it to occupational health because they'll sort it out. And actually it isn't our role to sort it out. Our role is to advise and to guide we will certainly work with the individual to help them through that particular crisis or those, you know, physical illnesses that might be presented through, you know, mental health and psychosocial issues. But at the same time, we do also need to advise and guide the employer to say, look, this is, this is what we're seeing. And this is, as you say, we, we're there to educate and, and support and discuss with health and safety and it has to come from the top. If you've got the leadership buy-in at the top, then they will really then support the processes that might bring about some of those changes. And if it is demands and you need more resources, or if it is workload or it is fatigue, all of those additional elements can be then addressed within a framework that I think the ISO 45,003. Um, my numbers, my numbers and the ISO standards do get somewhat muddled. A, a colleague of mine can vouch for that because I've just had to go through the 15189 for COVID testing. And um, yeah, so uh, the 45003 sits parallel with the 45001. And that's an interesting one relationship because actually, you know, that is a recognised standard because it's kind of black and white. There's no kind of contextual kind of grey areas with it it's really recognised. I think the 45003 has some challenges just because it's suddenly got the word psychosocial in it. And people then suddenly go, oh, you know, that, what's that? That's all mental health. Oh, and so I, you know, it would be interesting to see, as you say, because it's only a month old. Yeah, yeah. But how that, how that kind of context goes in and, and hopefully that it will be, you know, given the, the respect and the value that it deserves. Because I think 45,000, you'll know, 45,001 sets out a safety management system. And then yeah. they went, well, actually, that's hierarchy of control and the, the five principles. And the first principle is eradication of the risk. Um, mm. So, mm. Um, well, then, okay, so you, one of the reasons for 45,003 as well, actually, there are some jobs that functionally have degrees of stress in them, okay? Mm. Um, now, if the job is stressful, you can't eradicate the job. Mm. as police uh, ambulance uh, you know truck long long distance truck drivers or a whole range of professions that have race engineers race engineers exactly <laughs> oh, so, yeah. and so what you so then it was saying well if you can't eradicate it can you change it slightly but, and this was our seminal argument as you, I don't know if you've heard we had over 45,003 and I said if you want it to sit with this hierarchy of control, you have to accept that the way this is assessed, implemented, and changed is mm. at the 
primary level, which is an organizational bit, the tertiary, which are things that you do to equip people to um, manage this to be better managers. And at the tertiary, at the tertiary level, where you get people in, you know, when you deal mm. with mental health issue and mm. I think there's a powerful message on well-being particularly uh, amongst all the sectors including the sector that you work in which is if you're promoting positive mental health you're doing a secondary intervention and it's about making the workplace and I've been obviously had the opportunity to come down to your your factory and, and see um to, to see them as they were building the cars and it is a mm. environment but it's a very rewarding and stimulating environment at the same time for those those people that are there um you know just doing those tweaks with the little spanners and stuff Sorry, yeah that. yeah and i think i think that's a good example to use as an analogy because actually in motorsport we're, we're kind of on a time critical line you know in the, in the factory the components and the parts that are being produced uh, it is time critical um, mm. and certainly with the race calendar now it's been concertinas anyway because of covid but actually then you've got additional races you've got the flyaways you've got all of those additional elements that come right down to the fundamentals of the logistics you know the perception is you know just on the grid, on the day, on a Sunday, and it's all, you know, fine. But actually the background, which you have the pleasure to share the day and, and, and see and share with me, is absolutely the well-being runs hand in hand. And if you look at a holistic model of kind of developing a well-being strategy, you know, the, the, the risks and the physical risks, the travel health risks, all those other elements, the cost, the noise, those standards that come hand in hand with, we're using motorsport as that example. But actually, if you then align the well-being, you've then got much more of an engagement, much more of a positivity. And, and if the open dialogue is also, it's okay to talk about your mental health if you find that you're struggling, actually really then builds a really good positive rapport and relationship. And, and I'm proud to have been able to sort of develop that within the kind of strategy focus that the business has. And I think by having an in-house occupational health, that has particularly helped. But I think occupational health in the context of provision model, it is a challenge because it definitely has a business focus and it's it's a, a, a sort of a headcount exercise. But I think well-being is part of a, a whole um, return on investment for businesses. Exactly. Now, and in your in your sector and in other sectors, but let's reference to your sector. Your people are happy in their health and their well-being. Then their performances across the team become impacted because their people are focused, aren't they, on the tasks that that, mm. that they're so those extra seconds or that extra half seconds or quarter of a second that you need. If you've got people who are engaged and feel that their mental health is being looked after, then they're um, then I you know I believe that 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 goes across all aspects of the business, including what you produce at the end which is a car that, you know, um, mm. does what it does. And like drivers, and it's not just about the drivers, is it? It's about everyone. It's a team oh, thing. What was beautiful to see when I walked through the factory with you and the officers, hi, Sue, hi, Sue, hi, Sue, hi, Sue. Yeah. So they, they knew who you were. You were very much a part of it. And I think that's really mm. important that our health is very much a part, you know, of, of that, you know, and okay. I, I think that's it. And, and, and actually, you know, in, in the context of some of my other private clients that I work with, the uh, organisations that I have in, in the area, it is very much about having an engagement with the staff. Occupational health, 
you can sit in the office and you can have the door closed and you can do your case management and you can, you know, advise on strategy. But if you don't get into the nuts and bolts of an organisation, you don't understand the culture. And so therefore, how can you advise um, your HR colleagues or your health and safety managers or your directors even about their health and wellbeing strategy if you don't understand the context of what's going on? And, and as you will have seen, you know, my informal approach, you know, call them my kind of rounds as I go round, is actually as well, you learn a lot about how people are feeling just by observation. You know, as you kind of alluded to, we're long in the tooth in our practice and so, you, you know, we're very skilled in occupational health to be able to see those nuances without someone directly telling you. If you get to know your colleagues or your clients, if you're working in a, in a private context, such, such as my um, consultancy work, that's really important because you can, un- you can see what's going on in the, in the kind of the undercurrent of the culture or the behaviour changes that come about through stress or anxiety. Um, and, and recognising, I think it's 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 also very important to recognize that for example in the context of the current covid i've alluded to it already where you know people's personal stress factors that have come in in a context of of mental health management can then overflow into workplace stress so sometimes it's not just about a workplace being a stressful environment for someone you know, there, there's, there's the, you know, the stress bucket, as we talk about, you know, usually can be trickling along quite nicely and you can manage those work stresses, the challenges that come about your kind of everyday life. But you throw in a few extra kind of gallons of stress that comes in from a personal point of view, then actually the two end up blending and it's hard to then disseminate that. So I think, you know, the, the, the framework and the hierarchy of needs definitely can be managed within change and, and workplace demands and and looking at processes and how things can um, be focused to support well-being strategy but at the same time it is also recognizing it doesn't have to be at the individual no. level does it I mean do you remember when we met in Birmingham and do you know what we were doing <laughs> yes we on massage chairs how much fun was in- that it was great in the conference and we had it and that's happening there but actually that was a texture intervention it was great I get I came off I felt you know I felt okay I didn't walk away feeling any less stressed but I did I did obviously get to meet you and uh, but it's so so often the focus is down on that tertiary stuff isn't it Mm. Let's, let's give you yoga Let's give you apples and pears. Let's let's make them mindful. That's right, individuals, mm. not organisations, or 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 um, you know, organisational resilience and organisational mindfulness would be a great thing, would it not? But and I've talked about that enough before. But it's it's fascinating, and in, in in with us, it's about what can you do at the overarching level. Um, it's no good. I I I, I talked about this when I. You can't put resilient fish into a pond because this is what this is what I was told once at a conference. I'm oh, we want resilient, robust, strong fish in our pond. And uh, I stood up because Kerry mm. Kitchell was next to me, and I said, Kerry, I can't say anything, you need to say this. And I said, In my experience, I've killed loads of goldfish. And um, and uh, when the pond man came out, he said, You mm. your filter's blocked. So the point, um, you, you you look down and making it on the individual, mm. but you don't 
sort out the filter, then you're, you're, you're in a totally agree. And, and I think like, it's also giving you know managers and leaders the tools to know how they can support and manage. You know, I've worked with a lot of organizations where you know managers are absolutely amazingly competent in their you know management of a task, or you know, they're, they're usually promoted because they're so good at what they do. But sometimes that doesn't then align with some of the people skills that have to come with with managing staff. Um, And I found that a particular element of the role that I deliver within occupational health is to support those managers and and give them the facilities and the education and the training to give them boundaries. And again, coming back to the four, five thousand and three is actually that really helps us contribute to giving managers some tools that they can then support staff within the context of their management styles and their management frameworks. And having those dialogues through, you know, a performance review where you're ticking a box of, you know, what is visible, what is, you know, a process driven kind of assessment is actually giving managers the confidence to say it's okay to also say how have you been feeling in context of your mental health and the the work that you've been doing as part of a whole PDP process follow-up. And I think, again, putting that into context that that can be delivered through an HR context, but sometimes HR don't know what they don't know. And and I'm, I'm, I'm really passionate about the collaborative role that occupational health kind of is there as a guidance the right education the right tools the the right information to help leaders managers um you know um, departments manage health and well-being as you say to bring a culture change and bring a, a a business change and not just about the individual reactive quick send them down the corridor to occupational health because um you know they've had some sickness absence related to stress the gps put stress on there um what do we do run away well and i I think in that context as well i do have to say that gps do have a part to play and i think promoting something like an awareness campaign through you know gps who don't get me wrong through the current covid work have been absolutely backlogged but i think gps need to get out of the habit of just signing someone off sick with stress and again promoting um, and perpetuating a kind of sickness absence model of well okay we've got what three and a half minutes in your consultation let's just sign your sick with stress you know that bit note gets sent into HR red flag label stress but nobody knows what to do because the GP signed them off sick again it's using occupational health to say well look this is, this is looking like a pattern, what can we do? But also getting GPs to think about good work can be good for health and good work can be promoted with some support and collaborating, collaborating with occupational health to align it that you don't then get into that reactionary model and medicalizing some issues that might actually just need a little bit of guidance and support. Yeah. And I think as well... The psychosocial um, characteristics of... Again, we're... Oh, hello, Go Sheila. On, Sheila. <laughs> Sorry, I've got, I've got, I think I've got a bit of a delay on my, my network on this side. No, just Peter no, and I were you. just chatting away <laughs> and the guys, the three-way conversation. 
Now, just thinking, you know, with the ISO standard now, you know, when we look at, you know, psychosocial health in the workplace, you know, mm. it has to be systemic, doesn't it? It has to be knitted into the organisation's culture. Mm. Any business, um, you know, we've got quality control for products and services. We've got quality controls around our management system. We've got quality controls around our financial systems. But mm. zero quality control mm. and culture. And for me, what's mm. exciting about ISO 45003, because we've mm. got quality control for people and culture that we can measure, that we can end, mm. that we know the areas to look at, and it becomes mm. very systemic within mm. And it normalises it. It's not we're different because we've got stress-related issues or mental health problems. It's just a normal part of doing business is making sure that we are focused on looking after our people and the culture of our business. Totally agree with you, Sheila. And I think that's why it's been so good sort of collaborating with you over the last few months as this has been developed, because I think it it is absolutely fundamental. And I, I think the fact that it's, it's, it's recognised as a framework, it's ISO accredited, it isn't mm-hmm. just coming off the back of a bandwagon. It's, it's a really respected, valued, accredited standard. Um, and I'm really looking forward to sort of exploring it a little bit more um, and, and putting together a framework with, um, you know, my amazing um, auditor colleague to just really help us work through it. So we can deliver this as part of my my sort of consultancy Mm. framework for my clients because I think they deserve it. And they don't know what they don't know, but we all have a part to play in educating and and, and really clarifying in exactly that context. We, we, We put standards against so much else and we would never dream, as you say, of going through a financial system without quality control measure, (laughs) but with human health. It's sort of kind of bit by the by. Exactly. Uh, and if you don't yeah. get your people and your culture right, where's the success in your business? Absolutely. I agree with you wholeheartedly. And that, that's what's really exciting about, I think, the, the vision and the future model of occupational health provision. Um, mm. Maybe historically it has been a bit of a culture of sitting in your office waiting for the referrals. Um, and I think, you know, we as occupational health clinicians have a duty to deliver a really proactive, strategic focused approach to the support that we can offer clients. And actually the fact that it has a return on investment, because that's the end line, especially in the private sector, but yeah. equally within the NHS, to be fair, because obviously that's still running where it has to think about costs and value. Absolutely. Um, and I think it's not just the cost element as well, because, you know, this takes more than money being thrown at it, doesn't it? Mm. Commitment. And it has to take mm. time. There's no silver bullet mm. solution, whichever way you approach it. Mm. It's systemic. It has to be done mm. and brought in. We're going to kind of close up now and finish off um, today's session. Um, but we generally always ask our guests, what would be your as a closing question what would be your advice to business leaders that one simple kind of nugget for them to kind of take away when it comes to psychological health in the workplace utilize utilize the tools that you've got around you and if that means looking at seeking occupational health guidance to give you you know some advice in regards to that then definitely consider 
the value that occupational health can bring to you know your business uh, for small medium and large enterprises and and whatever model of occupational health the business decides to use that's totally their prerogative but I think that that would be my my advice as an occupational health professional without a doubt is um yeah proactive be proactive yeah. and and look to get a strategic sort of risk assessment model to your health and well-being don't just buy a bunch of fruit and put it on reception and think that you tick that box unless it's kiwi fruit because it's quite exotic <laughs> <laughs> always always interesting seeing a pineapple when you've got a a, a workplace fruit bowl because it's kind of you know not just grab and go <laughs> that's awesome advice sue and um, for those of you that are on the podcast i have to ask this question sue but um is there a yeti on your chair um, it's not a yeti it's a sheepskin <laughs> i actually came home okay. to do this podcast because actually it's very comforting just sitting it's cool well you'll know all about sheepskins and use of sheepskins in they are, they, they, it does look like a yeti, but, but that's okay. <laughs> I like yeti. I like as long it. as I don't look like the yeti. No, 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 no. But it's been wonderful to have you on. Um, yeah, you know, it's not always nice to have your mates on, isn't it, as well? Someone that you can chat. So we were just, we were, we were just like in a coffee shop there, weren't we, for a while, just like getting away. But, uh, you know. Well, hopefully we managed to share our passion yeah, for yeah. And I, uh, management. I, you know, I have a, a lot of respect for the work that you're doing and particularly the work um, both, you know, as the occupational health nurse, you're working with Williams and, you know, with, with the private sector. Um, mm-hmm. At the end of the day, um, I do like racing cars. So, <laughs> so obviously. Yeah. You know, well, like, luckily, so do I. Yeah. So, I, you know, I, I'm very, very privileged in that role and I absolutely adore the role that I have and the support that I get in that context particularly and yes the motorsport is a very exciting element of the work I do but I don't take away yeah exactly yep brilliant thank you so much um take care you guys you've been listening to the UK psych health and safety podcast to stay up to date with the latest on psychological injury prevention and the new ISO 45003 standard, follow subscribe to the UK Psych Health and Safety podcast at www.ukpsychhealthandsafety.com.